Welcome to the All Souls Episcopal Parish in Berkeley's Sermon Podcast. Today is the last Sunday after Pentecost, which is Christ the King Sunday, and we hear from the Reverend Dr. Paula Nesbitt as she preaches from the lectionary, which was Luke chapter 23, verses 33 to 43. As always, you can find more information about All Souls or sermons by All Soulsians on our homepage, which is allsoulsparish.org. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Before I begin, I ask that we all take a moment of silent reflection for those five people who were killed early this morning and the 18 who were injured in the mass shooting at the LBGT club in Colorado Springs. Most holy and compassionate God. Our hearts are heavy this morning with another mass shooting of innocent people who were simply having a good time and hurting no one. We ask that you be with their families and friends and all who mourn for those whose lives were lost and those who have been seriously injured, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, as we surround them with our, our love and our feelings of well wishes, especially on this day of remembrance for transgender persons who have suffered violence. All this we ask in the name of your blessed Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today you will be with me in paradise. This morning we come to the end of Pentecost and the end of another church year, Christ the King Sunday. In our hymns and readings, we've heard much about crowns and kings and lords and kingdoms. Yet the gospel takes us to the cross where Jesus is being crucified with common criminals and mocked by the leaders for not being a mighty king, unable or unwilling to save even himself. Somehow the end of our church year feels more like Good Friday than an Easter triumph. Where is the triumphant Messiah? After all, there is so much to fix in our world a long pandemic that's still with us, a planet in environmental peril, another polarized political election, 
people economically on the brink or homeless, health concerns, more mass shootings, war and violence in so many regions. Each of us has our own list to add to this. It's easy to be swept up in a longing for triumph, for an all-powerful leader to fix it, and to feel let down at the cross. It's easy to become like that first criminal, frustrated, angry, and missing the opportunity for transformation. The second criminal who confessed his shortcomings and spoke of the injustice done to Jesus, asked for nothing in return. Certainly not paradise, that place in Hebrew theology reserved for the righteous after death. This is the transformation that Jesus sought to instill in each of us, namely the inner strength and humility to admit one's faults and to stand for what is right, even to the point of sacrifice and death. On the news this morning regarding the mass shooting at the Q Club, uh, it was mentioned that some of the participants there uh, stood in front of harm's way and subdued the attacker until the police were able to get there. Who knows how many other lives might have been harmed had they not done that. This is the gateway to new life and the reign of God, which offers the real triumph. Speaking truth to power has often led to the cross. This week, a podcast from Harvard's Kennedy School of Government spoke about how rising authoritarianism and the repression of women so often go together. According to the speaker's research, empowered women are targeted because authoritarian leaders are fearful of them. Social movements and protests that include large numbers of women have been more successful and women and others from the historic margins of a society tend to bring resilience, creativity, and a focus that often involves more than self-interest alone. The speakers concluded that the future of democracy and the future of women's empowerment, quote, may go hand in hand. End quote. Listening to Nancy Pelosi's speech last Thursday, announcing that she'd be stepping down from House leadership, I thought of the recent violence done to her husband that it had been intended for her, and the inner strength she has shown in her leadership to work across sometimes bitter political divides in effort to search for a way forward that both can live with. As Catholic feminist theologian Rosemary Radford Ruther has said, 
what the biblical tradition calls the reign of God involves transformation and reconciliation with others, which brings about reconciliation with God. And it's important here that others come first, that we can't be reconciled with God until we are reconciled with one another. And this is, this is apparent in Jesus' teachings throughout the Gospels. Described by Presbyterian feminist theologian Beverly Harrison, God's reign uh, is a way of being in the world that deepens relation, embodies and extends community. To seek to live in the reign of God in the here and now is to live by radical mutuality and reciprocity. What might it mean to be both waiting for the reign of God in the fullness of time and also to be living in a way that helps to bring it about? For me, what God was trying to model through Jesus was a new way of being together on earth, a more inclusive and mutually respectful sense of justice, and a new way of expressing masculinity where might does not make right, and where compassion, humility, and inclusion are strengths to be emulated. And I believe these are straight traits which all our various expressions of gender might converge upon. Compassion, humility, and inclusion. The Reverend Dr. Allison Cheek, one of the first 11 women priests in the Episcopal Church, often urged women to seek ordination only if they hope to change the church, to make it more inclusive and Christ-like. And I remember her saying that to me. This would add fresh momentum to the efforts of the men who had sought to do so. Looking back into that era, our church has moved a great deal since that time. Last summer, I was invited to speak at a seminar on gender justice as part of the Anglican Communion's Lambeth Conference of Bishops that's held about every 10 to 15 years. Of the 660 bishops present, 97 were women, about one out of seven, representing all six continents. Much hard work of learning how to listen and learn from one another across our cultural and theological divides had taken place since the 1998 Lambeth Conference, where voting on a resolution regarding traditional heterosexual marriage as the teaching and norm in the Anglican Communion had become so politically polarized it had threatened to break apart the communion. 
The plan for this year's conference was to return to voting on written statements on various topics, known as Lambeth Calls. Even though the votes had no binding authority on any of the churches, including our own. Just before the conference began, the statement on human dignity created an uproar because a mysteriously added wording referred to the 1998 resolution on heterosexual marriage that had sparked the near catastrophe. As the conference got underway, there was a feeling of dread creeping throughout um, the environment, and especially among the bishops. As it became clear that the vote, either way it went, would irrevocably fracture the communion. There was no way out. The Archbishop of Canterbury, who's the Anglican Communion spiritual leader and who hosts the conference, decided just before the focus day on human dignity to let go of his plan that had been years in the making. The voting machines were put away, and the statements now became works in progress that were to be discussed, but taken back to the diocese and local churches for further reflection and, most importantly, input. He later affirmed that the traditional teaching of marriage in the 1998 resolution had not been rescinded, but also that others had come to hold deep theological beliefs that such teachings needed to change, and that there is room for both in the communion. An African archbishop later responded, saying that while he and other maintained conservative views on sexuality, those were not the differences that should divide us. We need to walk together to address the issues we all share, especially climate change. It was a transformative moment. Bishops suddenly, and I do mean suddenly, felt freer to talk to one another across their differences, male and female, gay and straight. Spouses of bishops who held views against marriage equality gathered with those spouses of gay and lesbian bishops who had come to Lambeth as uninvited outsiders. And from both sides, I heard that gathering and others like it that happened in a more informal way, but nonetheless did happen, had helped greatly in healing on both sides. One of my other roles at Lambeth was to represent the International Anglican Women's Network and to speak with bishops about what we could offer to their diocese. A bishop from Sudan stopped by wanting to know if we could help with issues of polygamy and divorce. 
As we talked, he added that he has several women priests in his diocese, and he wants more. He said, they have different ways of working with conflict, and they can help find solutions that don't end in violence. As the conference drew to an end, I wondered at the remarkable cohesion that was beginning to develop. Bishops began talking with one another as family. I had seen nothing like this in the previous three Lambeth conferences I had been at. In the Archbishop of Canterbury's closing address, I sensed that he and many of those present had moved to a very different place than at the start of the conference. He called for the church to be a place of revolution without violence and referred to the prophet Micah by doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with your God. And I quote from his closing sermon, God dares us to join a whole new way of being. What we gain is not what the world tells us we should want. Following God may not get us wealth or power, but it does guide us to the riches beyond treasure and a world that looks just a bit more like the kingdom, a world where people do not suffer because of where they were born, where the scandal of poverty and huge inequality does not exist, where people are not persecuted for their faith, their gender, or sexuality. As we grow in love, our fear shrinks and God's reign finds its rule in our hearts and in our lives as God's people. Something shifted in me, too, because of Lambeth. As I left, I felt that I no longer had a singular identity. I call it the Holy Trinity of one, me, myself, and I but that God and others were there with me in my identity, even those whom I love and pray for but disagree with. You will be with me in paradise. The reign of God is both now and not yet. In those Anglican communion moments, in our own community, at the cross, and in the choices we make. How are you helping to bring it about in your life? Amen.